If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports Special Edition Ahead. First tell you we're presented, as always, by Bet Online. They're your online sportsbook experts, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget the promo code PODCAST1. Bet online, your sportsbook experts. You know, I get a lot of questions from listeners, and I got a few on my uh, sort of Google Voice where I ask you to ask questions that I'll answer. And I've had three over the past couple months saying, hey, Andrew, why don't you have someone interview you like they've heard other podcasts? And I have, too, other podcasts where the host kind of gets interviewed by a friend, by a guest, by someone in the same business, by someone in the same area of study, whatever it is. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea. And I got some things that I would share, probably not as being an interviewer or even doing Brant's rants. So then it's like, who's going to do that? (laughs) And the first name that came to mind is Amy Trask. Amy, as a lot of listeners know, a voice on social media, a former executive with the Raiders, an author, uh, just someone that I've admired a long time as colleagues, and we've developed a friendship uh, since being in the NFL, just came to me like, that's who I have to have. That's who I'd like to have. And she jumped on it right away. So without further ado, my co-host and my interviewer on this podcast, the one, the only, the inimitable, Amy Trask. Hey. How are you? Hey, I am doing well. How are you, Andrew? Thanks for doing this. You're so sweet, too. And I, I, you know, I didn't know how you'd react to sort of, hey, you want to interview me? And uh, you jumped right on it, which I was so pleased with. I did jump right on it because this is a tremendous privilege, a tremendous pleasure. I often use an I Love Lucy gif of Lucy dancing around like crazy when she's supposed to be in a somber ballet uh, class and she's just dancing like a little nut. That's exactly what I looked like when you asked me to do this. I looked like that Lucy Jiff I use so often. Uh, I will jump in right now, and I will start by noting that your education, your career, your experiences are such that you are uniquely positioned to offer thoughts, ideas, opinions from a multitude of overlapping perspectives. Some of your listeners um, are young and and may not remember what Venn diagrams were. Google them, kids, because Andrew offers us a tremendous Venn diagram. You have a law degree. You were an agent. You were a team executive. You are a professor. You are a columnist. You are terrific on social media as a contributor. So from that Venn diagram perspective, 
as I said, you are uniquely positioned to weigh in on many, many issues right now. So let's get started. But before we get it all serious, I'm going to give you a yes. Well, you know what? My game, my rules. I get to make this up. I'm going to give you a choice. You are tremendous at fitness. You are fitness-focused. What you do in terms of fitness is just eye-popping. You're also very, very musically talented. So as I said, my game, my rules. I am forcing you to choose right this minute. If you could only do one of those two things from this point forward, can't do both, would you opt to continue with your fitness or your music? Oh, man. You know, sometimes I combine them both because I run or bike listening to music. Cheating. and not only no, music. cheating, it's... cheating, cheating. <laughs> okay, I got to pick. I get it. <laughs> um, I would... I guess I'll answer it this way. I would have a harder time giving up fitness than music because it has such a powerful effect on my mood generally and then, of course, on my overall health. Uh, you know, ex- exercise is medicine, and exercise is so good for the soul, especially in these times. So that would be my choice. Okay, I, I- thought you might skew that way and of course when i said cheating i'm being silly it's just that you know i get to make the game up so my rules you had to pick i do love your combination idea but since you've chosen fitness which is where i thought you'd head biking (laughs) or hiking which would you choose was there a second part i didn't hear biking or hiking which would you choose of those two oh um biking I love to get out on the road and just just lose it there, you know, with my headphones on. And sometimes I don't even am on. I just love the feel of riding. That's terrific. That's terrific. Okay, Andrew, you are a father. If you, at this moment in time, with all that is going on, had to offer your children one piece of advice and only one, mm. have any thoughts? Um, yeah, to just savor the moment and follow their dreams and passions because you never know when things can be taken away from you. People are in this time right now where they just don't know where things are going and there's so much uncertainty. So, and I think this sort of foretells my own passion, Amy, which is just try to live life without regret and you know, my boys are following their dreams, one in music, one in video, and sports. He's like me, a sports kid. But, um, you know, I grew up differently. And I'm answering this a long-winded way. But I grew up differently with a dad that, you know, you got to go to graduate school. you got to go to law school. you got to do something that traditionally is thought of as the way. Traditionally is thought of as, hey, that's what educated children do. That's how you get ahead. And I wanted to sort of impart a different message to my boys, which is follow your dreams, follow your passions, follow your talents, and I'm always going to have your back. You don't need to worry about doing something that society thinks you need to do, going to law school, business school, etc., medical school. I'll be there. You know, you follow your dreams, and that's usually the way people get ahead and become rounded and caring human beings i'm so proud of these boys they're just 
they got compassion, they got empathy, they care for people. Uh, and I see it so often, especially now during the pandemic. That, that is um, absolutely beautiful, exquisite, um, beautiful sent- sentiments, beautifully stated, um, uncovered in goosebumps. And I, that was just exquisite. I feel like we should say, let's call it a wrap right now, because that was tremendous. And um, your boys are very, very lucky to, to have, me, have you as their yeah. dad. Let me say that. I have a son in Brooklyn. Um who's into music. He graduated NYU. Um, he's been a performer, but now he's into music, producing, editing, mixing. He actually does the music that underscores the opening of this podcast, Sam Brandt, the one and only. Um, and you know what? When the you know what hit the fan on March 12th with the pandemic, he hightailed it out of there uh, and came home. And I think a lot of parents are experiencing this with older children. It is a blessing. What a blessing. Mm -hmm. When in your life are you going to have your quote-unquote adult children live with you and indefinitely? (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, it was a little cramped and his girlfriend and his two cats, their two cats and everything. But I'm like, what a blessing this is. It's almost like just... God sort of handed you your kids that would never otherwise live with you. (laughs) Um, And you have this time together. So I guess, you know, everyone's looking for the silver linings out of this. Who knows where it's going to go? Who knows how we're going to live life in the future? Will we go back to normal? Who knows what a new normal means? But gosh, I mean, some of these things that come out of this are like, you have time with your families. Now it can be you know, if you don't get along, it's a problem, but you have time that you'll, you'll never have again, probably. It's just this uh, unique time in history. Again, beautiful sentiments, beautifully stated, and that you're able to take advantage of this moment for in the manner you just stated and, and for the reasons you just stated is, is tremendous. Um, two kids, two cats, and, and you guys are, are figuring this all out together. While we are on the topic of young people, I'm going to broaden this to young people other than your children. Andrew, I am asked all the time the following. I am sure that you are asked all the time the following, and I'd love your perspective and what advice you offer when you are asked this. Young people who just completed or are will soon complete school who are seeking careers in sports, right. what advice do you offer? Happens all the time. And yep. <laughs> I mean, I will talk about sort of my day job. I deal with that on a professional level, but just personally, when yep. you get so many emails, calls, friends, texts, Twitters uh, from people asking this question, um, and you probably have similar answers, and I'll just tell you what I say. First of all, do never say to someone, hey, I want to work in sports, and the answer to the question of why is, well, I love sports. And I'm like, eh, it's not going to work. <laughs> Everyone loves sports. Well, I work hard, and I, I know the third-string tackle for the Carolina Panthers, and I know the batting average of the seventh player for the Cincinnati Reds. I'm like, eh, not going to work. <laughs> Okay, so, well, I'd stay up all night, I'd work for free, eh, not good enough. So after I give them a lot of ants, 
you know, where I'm buzzing them, I say, here's what you need to know. Never come to a potential person to talk about getting into sports or even more aptly, a potential employer without having a deep dive into what you want to do. Like, I would say, what do you want to do? I want to be an agent. Eh, not good enough. <laughs> I want to work for a team. Eh, not good enough. I want to work in athletics in college. Not good enough. What do you want to do? And here are my four words, Amy. I say go narrow and go deep. Go narrow and go deep. You want to work for a team. What do you want to do? Salary cap. What do you want to do? Well, maybe there is some area of cap or contract management you think has not been dived into deep enough. You have a way of doing something. You do research. You do a, a homework assignment. You do a writing sample. You do an Excel spreadsheet. You present that. You want to be an agent? Okay, maybe there's some way of representing players that everyone else is not seeing. You see a way you could help players differently. You write about it. You post about it. You look at people doing it the right way. You blog about it. Then you have my attention. But if you're just a kid, or not even a kid, a 25-year-old, saying, this is what I want to do because sports is cool, because I've always loved sports, not good enough. You'll be left behind. What is your differentiator? What separates you? What's your special sauce? Why you? And when you can answer why you in a way that makes people stand up and say, oh, okay, then you've, you've captured it. Because everyone out there is looking for a job in sports. What makes you different? Find that special sauce. And I know each of us dig deep and you can find it. I love that you offer this advice, not only on a personal level, when people within your village, if you will, ask you that question or people who are referred to you by others in your village, as we know happens so often. I love that you offer this on a professional level as well. Uh, and we, we are an overlapping Venn diagram on this. As you were speaking, the thought was going through my mind as to something I offer, which is very similar to what you offer from a little bit of a different angle. When you go in to present yourself to a prospective employer, don't always talk about what you want and what would make you happy and why it would be good for you and why you would like the job. Tell mm. me when I was the one interviewing or tell the person with whom you're interviewing why you're going to make the business better. How are you going to contribute? What is your value? So I think you and I are saying very, very similar things in that regard. I sat in umpteen interviews, listening to people go on and on about me, 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 me. And I found myself thinking, you have not shared with me one thing that you will do of value for this business. Right. All you've talked about is how this business will be good for you. So I think you and I are a nice little Venn diagram in that regard. Totally right, Amy. And it's so interesting because my assistant at Green Bay, I know we're going to talk about our lives in the NFL, but my assistant in the Packers was a woman and who came into the Green Bay Packers. Now, she knew who Brett Favre and, and the Packers were, but ask her to name five players on the team, and this is for someone living in Green Bay. Ask her what a football play looked like 
she probably couldn't go into that. But she had a skill that was so important for me, which was data analysis. She came from a trucking company, Schneider Trucking, and she could collate the reams of data that, as you know better than anyone, came in from the NFL every night in whatever mm -hmm. form they ship it out, Access or Microsoft, whatever, and collate and collect and organize and categorize for me the way I'd like to see it every morning was perfect. She had the perfect background to do that. I didn't care that she didn't know football plays. I didn't care that she didn't know stats. So for the jobs we're talking about, everyone gets caught up in sports and it's fun. It's the games It what draws it's romantic. I get it. But you're applying to do a special skill, as you said, to make the job easier for whoever you're talking to. And that will usually involve segmented, narrow approaches to things that aren't the sexy things out there. And yes, maybe you'll be brought in on a negotiation eventually. Maybe you'll get to work with a player eventually. But if you're going into it for that kind of glamour, forget it. That just, because it may happen down the road, and it won't be that glamorous or sexy, and then you're just doing a job. And I especially say this to people wanting to be agents, because if they think it's a cool life, oh my <laughs> God. I mean, it is all recruiting, and it is all trying to present to 21, 23-year-olds when thousands and hundreds of others are doing the same. And it's a rough life. It's a rough life. And whether you are an agent or a team executive, when that phone rings at three in the morning, it is never a good thing. <laughs> so to your, point, to your point about the life that you lead, just know those calls are going to come in at three in the morning, whether you're working for the team or the client, and you're going to have to deal with it. Um, you know, one other note I will make while we're on this topic is umpteen times during interviews you hear, or, you know, now that I'm not interviewing for positions in the National Football League, but in other milieus, I'm a yeah. team player. I'm a team player. I'm a team player. Well, let's talk that through a minute. Because being a team player means you never get to say, well, that's not in my job description, or that's not my job, or that's not what I do. No, 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 no. You told me you're a team player. A team player means when something needs to be done, roll up your sleeves and help out your coworkers. Let me tell you something. If you're the left guard and the left tackle is having trouble blocking, you're going to slide over and help. If you're the safety and that corner who's playing man-to-man -man needs some help, you're going to head over there and help. So if you're in the front office, the same rule applies. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on that sort of the interviewing, trying to get a role in sports thing is I'm, and maybe this describes me as much as anything, Amy, I'm, I'm fascinated by people, not really resume, not really degrees, not really what they write or, you know, or say or quote. I'm like, are you interesting? Period. Are you interesting? I want to work with people who are interesting and it's funny, you know, because I'm watching Lance's documentary and he's a prick and he's prickly, but you know what? He's interesting. And when I look at resumes sometimes, way down the resume, you know, after all the degrees and the fancy jobs, I'll see something like, you know, worked at a summer camp, 
taught swimming to developmentally disabled children. And I'll look at the person, the man or woman, and I'll say, tell me about that. You know, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Forget all the degrees and the fancy jobs. And then once in a while, Amy, you'll see that person, 18, 20, 25, 30 years old, light up. Light up. Like, wow, it was so great. I these kids and they couldn't swim at all and they were disabled and this, and by the end of the summer, this, and I connected with this one named Jeremy and he's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh my God. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's who I want because they're interesting. They're passionate. They got something. I want those people around me. I don't want fancy degrees where they're boring. So when I interview, I'm, I'm looking down that resume like, oh, tell me about that. And that's where you see what people are made of. You know what? Not only is that beautifully stated, but it provides me a wonderful opportunity to talk about a fancy degree at a fancy <laughs> university, Stanford. And I will note right now for all your listeners that our respective colleges, Stanford for you, Cal for me, are Pac-12 rivals, although when we were there, it was the Pac-10, and I do want to be very clear, I was not there when it was the Pac-8, but we are <laughs> Pac-12 rivals, and Andrew, I enjoy our good-natured, good-spirited, teasing and bantering about our rivalry, and did I mention we have the axe right now? And yes, I know it's the first time in a lot of years, but I had to mention it. Um, all, that, all that good-natured teasing and rivalry aside, I have tremendous, tremendous respect for your school, uh, academically. Its athletic program doesn't grade adjust. I I think the world of David Shaw had an opportunity to work with him. I won't go on and on and on about that. I will instead ask you this question. Again, your background at Stanford, you have a law degree, agent, team executive, professor, all the other things that you do. At this moment in time, with colleges exploring if and how and to what extent they want to resume intercollegiate athletics, do you believe that anyone is appropriately representing the interests of the athletes? Are the schools looking after them in your mind? Is the NC2A looking after their best interest in your mind? Or should they be represented by someone or someone's or a diff- someone else, or a body? That's a great question, Amy. And I, full disclosure, and I have to answer it this way to begin with, I am an employee of Villanova University. I work closely with our athletic department. We have 23 sports, one of which is well-known nationally, our, our men's basketball program. And I address these issues with our athletics department often. Um, I think that there has been a clearly a power disparity between the NCA and the athletes. I do think programs are in the process of recognizing athlete rights more than they ever have. And I do give credit where I know a lot of people don't to the powers that be that in recent months, have worked on this name image likeness recognition in college sports where they're going to allow players to develop income based on their name image likeness as long as it's not done by the school, 
as long as it's not as long as they have guardrails that they're going to try to put up to say it's not a guise for recruiting or giving packages that shouldn't be allowed. It's just more based on the talent of the player and going out and getting, frankly, an endorsement, a third-party endorsement. And I'm involved in sort of working on those guardrails with Villanova and, to a large extent, the Big East Conference. But, yeah, the power disparity has always been there. The question is... What's a better model? And I've talked to Jeffrey Kessler. I've talked to others that say the model should be, hey, have no guardrails. And if Joe Chevrolet wants to pay Joe quarterback a million dollars for driving their car, so what? Who are we looking to whether that's unfair, whether that's illegal, whether that's shady or not? I understand that argument. And I understand free market, obviously, studying collective bargaining. But I, I do think that college is different than the pros. So my point is, whatever concept of amateurism we think of, and I know there are people that think amateurism is dead, it's just a sham, but I have a different feeling. So I'm a little more conservative here. And the last thing I'll say, getting back to Villanova, is... I mentioned 23 sports, and I mentioned one that people know of. That one is the only one that makes money, and not a lot of money. So those other 22 sports have to be funded somewhere, and some of it comes from men's basketball. I don't know what it will look like if the guardrails are off. That's my, my concern. In other words... Will 23 sports become 15 sports? And the hierarchy is always basketball, football, women's sports, and non-revenue men's sports seem to be the most at risk. So I do wonder about that. I am a huge proponent of college athletics beyond football and basketball. And that is my worry if, as I say, the guardrails come off. Well... First of all, in response to what you just said, my overwhelming thought is shame on me that I failed to note your Villanova um, responsibilities directly when posing this question as opposed to simply indirectly by having noted that you're associated with a school. Uh, This is my very, very first time leading an interview. So (laughs) you were just an absolutely magnificent teammate. You were the linebacker, the middle linebacker who just realized I didn't understand the signal and you fixed it for me. So thank you very, very much because I missed that. And I appreciate that you disclosed that at the outset and the information you shared was very, very thought provoking and interesting. I I appreciate it. And um, there's a lot to be thought through. Most instances like this, I'm of like mind with you that there's not a simple answer and that things need to be thought through. And we always, no matter what we do, whether in this instance or any other, need to give thought to the law of unintended consequences. And it sounds like that's exactly what you are doing in your role at Villanova, which is looking not only at the consequences of actions, but any unforeseen or unintended consequences. And I think that's terrific. Anyway, thank you, my middle linebacker, for saving me on that. I got to hone my interviewing skills. No, no worries, Amy. And again, free reign here. The one thing I'm looking at right now at Villanova is the spring sports student-athletes that had their seasons canceled 
are given another year of eligibility by the NCAA. Now, of course, the NCAA right. says, well, okay, we're going to allow that, but you schools figure it out, figure it out if they're going to have scholarships or what the recruiting is for the incoming class based on the old, the fifth-year players coming back or fourth-year players. So that creates some logistical issues. I'm talking to Villanova about, hey, maybe we'll do a course for these spring sport student-athletes coming back who a lot of them have finished their coursework. Uh, so they'll get their extra year of eligibility. And again, we're not talking about basketball. That's a winter sport. But we're talking about baseball and field hockey and lacrosse and soccer and and those kind of sports. So, uh, it, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I'm getting back to your earlier question. I am a big fan of high school and college athletes when it comes to working in sports. I just think they bring a discipline. They bring us understanding of sports, no matter what sport. So you don't have that ramp up period to sort of get people and not whatever the word is inoculated into the business of sports. Um, so I am partial. I admit to a bias, totally admit to bias when hiring or even my research assistants, having a background in athletics is a real plus to me. Well, as to your point about coursework, for those whose eligibility has been extended, I will use an example from your, your alma mater, college, not grad school, not law school, that is. Um, and I use this example all the time. Another Stanford man for whom I have the highest regard and tremendous respect, Richard Sherman. Richard yeah. Sherman had completed his undergraduate degree and had eligibility remaining, so went on to begin work for a master's degree while still eligible to play at Stanford. I love the idea of additional coursework, and if you're able to do that, your students and those athletes will be tremendous, tremendously fortunate. All right, we're going to talk about the pros now. We've, I'm sorry? <laughs> I just wanted to note... You're, obviously, we have our banter about our alma maters. I noted your, your kind comments uh, about that banter and about Stanford. And, and unlike you, Amy, I was a kid. I was a little kid from Washington, D.C., kind of applied to Stanford as a lark. You know, what the hell? California sounds cool. <laughs> and lo and behold, way back in the day, I got in. I had no expectation of going to Stanford. So I went sight unseen. And wow. it was just too good to pass up, even though I'd gotten into a lot of East Coast schools, thought about UVA, thought about Duke. Um, and I just went cross-country sight unseen. And, you know, you know, California and you live right there with I had this image of surfers and blondes and <laughs> you know this whole I didn't know what to expect in California. And I just remember down the coast to that. You maybe needed to focus on Santa Barbara for that. And I'm teasing because you went to a spectacular school, but I'm not teasing about the surfer part. Happened to be in Santa Barbara recently in a socially responsible distanced manner. And it's exactly as you just described. There were just surfboards everywhere. So come on back to California and that can be your next fitness routine. You can take up surfing. I think that's in the cards. Hopefully my son, I keep talking about in the music industry He's looking at L.A. as his next stop because that's where all his his work is. So who knows? We'll see. But, yeah, I was in northern California, and it was a little different up there. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't quite the, the surfer sand beach. I had a roommate from Van Nuys who was the classic look you would, if you had to draw up what a nerd looks like, that was my roommate. And I'm like, this is Southern California, this kid? I'm like, wow, okay, here we go. Well, I've, I'm now inspired. Our next joint podcast activity, Andrew and Amy go surfing. Oh, I love it. I, I think we're on to something. Let's, let's see- turn to the NFL for a moment. You wrote recently on this topic of the relationship between the NFL and the NFLPA as relates to the resumption of the play of football and all of the issues surrounded there is. And, and speaking of nerds, I may be your one podcast friend who absolutely loves discussing force majeure clauses. I just <laughs> found them fascinating when I was in law school. I still do. I'm not going to bog your, or I should say, I'm not going to bog this podcast. I'll bug you at another time and bog something else down. I won't bog this podcast down with a deep dive into a force majeure clause. I simply want you to know I loved reading what you wrote, but I always love reading what you wrote. So here we are. The NFL is looking at exploring if and how and under what manner it can go back to play this fall. And it's going to require agreement between the NFL and the NFL PA. Are there any thoughts you wish to share as to the issues you think are going to be the most difficult for them to resolve and how they should go about resolving them? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I want you to weigh in too, because I really respect your, respect your opinion here too. And I think we're seeing a preview of this right now with all three sports in play beyond the NFL that have a much, much quicker time frame. And that is, of course, the NHL, the NBA, and mostly baseball. Because the NHL and NBA, they're just really finishing up seasons and having playoffs. Baseball is talking about a whole season, much in the way the NFL is talking about. So I point that out because baseball is going through all the health and safety stuff. And that'll be fine, I think. But then they get to money. And baseball players were thinking, hey, prorated, we'll play half a season. If I was going to make $10 million, I'll make $5 million. And the baseball owners are like, uh-uh, uh-uh, not so simple. Because we're having such a diminution of revenues. We're going to do a revenue split. You're going to get half. Collectively, it's going to work out a lot less than that $5 million for that player making $10 million. That's a problem, and baseball is going to have some sticky days ahead trying to get that resolved. The NFL has the luxury of time, as we all know, in looking ahead. I think it's pretty clear they expect to play. The question is going to be what type of fan engagement is there going to be? And the diminution of revenues will come from lack of fans. So is it going to be 50% fans? Is it going to be 0% fans? Is it going to be 10% fans? And I think my best guess on a league without fans would be anywhere from 15 to 25% loss of revenues. And it's not just tickets, of course. It's merchandise, it's parking, it's concessions, game day sponsors, activations, all the things we know from our years of running game days at our stadiums. So that is really going to be dealt with. Now, will they deal with it as a precursor to what looks like a depleted 2021 cap because the 2020 revenues will go down? Or do they get in front of it and have a smoothing, if you will, 
to maybe lower 2020 cap so they don't have the prospect of a decreased 2021 cap. And just before we started negotiating, I'm sorry, podcasting, I did see J.C. Treader, the new union representative, mm-hmm. sort of put water on any of these reports that the NFL and FAPA are working out things. There's a lot of work to do. We haven't accepted anything, blah, blah, blah. So that tells me that despite getting this 11-year contract done, CBA, in March, on the eve of the pandemic, literally a day before it hit, that there's a lot of work to do again. And these two sides that thought they wouldn't be negotiating again for 10 years are back at it in 10 weeks. They have to figure out the health and safety part, of course. When are players allowed in? How are they allowed in? What's the testing? What's the tracing? What's the treatment? Are players quarantined? Who else has to be quarantined? How long? What do you do with with common surfaces? You know, this is going to be a, mag- a Herculean task on the health and safety side, but I think they can get that done. Then it's the money, what I just talked about. How do we deal with loss of revenues? Baseball's trying to get ahead of it, and I think football will have to try to get ahead of it in the coming weeks. I will add to what you said only two thoughts, which is as to the health and safety, which you identified, must be addressed. Uh, There are so many more people involved in the staging of a football game than baseball or basketball or hockey, not simply players, but the tremendous number of assistant coaches, trainers, medical personnel, sideline personnel. And even if you limit that as much as possible, one thing football is going to have to deal with to a greater extent, and I mean greater in the sense of numbers than the other sports you identified, is so many more bodies. And what do you do when someone tests positive and how do you address it? And yes, all sports are going to have to address that. But given the number of people involved in staging an NFL game, it becomes more challenging. The other issue you raised, which, you you know, you stated it brilliantly, and I hadn't thought to use the word smoothing. It's a great word, uh, smoothing the revenues and the salary cap as between 20 and 21. The other issue associated with that is how far do you smooth? Because the average player career is not particularly long. So if you're towards the end of your career, are you looking to say, yeah, 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 I'll take one for the team, no pun intended, we can smooth it over a longer period of time, or no, 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 if we're smoothing this, it's going to have to be over two years. I think that's another fascinating issue to watch unfold. The last point I will make, and it has to do with something you raised, you mentioned NHL, you mentioned NBA, those are indoor games. Right. Well, there's a few teams in the NFL that are in domes without retractable roofs. So I'm going to put aside for a moment domes that have retractable roofs because you can get air into uh, those buildings. As to the domes with closed roofs, as to the NBA, as to the NHL, you know, query whether the guidance is going to suggest that you can't play indoors and then will those teams have to move to outdoor facilities. It's just something to keep an eye on. Yes, and as you said, you know, what's so interesting that you and I know more than anything the mantra of the NFL, when we sat in those meetings, everything comes down to two words, competitive balance. 
And or now, stated in what, you know what? We're reading one another's minds, and I apologize for interrupting, but I didn't know if you were going to say competitive balance or put it in the one word version, parody. And you are, ab- and I'm going to stop talking because you are going to slam this out of the park to cross sports because that is a thought that has been at the front of my mind throughout this entire situation. Yeah, I mean, it's the jurisdictional thing, and I think everyone's experiencing that wherever you're listening to this podcast. And, you know, people in Florida are experiencing it differently. People in the Midwest are experiencing it differently. And the problem for that is the NFL is a national league, of course. Now, with things like marijuana and different laws in different states or sports betting laws in different states, you know, the competitive balance continues because the NFL law trumps state law like players are still tested for marijuana and players can't bet but when it comes to a public health emergency and la County's not open but other counties are and new york and new jersey are closed but others are and different restrictions and yellow phase red phase i mean you can't plan for that so the nfl hopes that by the time they let in players and coaches into these facilities everybody's kind of open, but you can't, you can't guarantee that. So my point is this mantra, one word or two word parody or competitive balance is going to be tested, especially if it lasts into the season. Cause then we get into what you're talking about, which is where do you put these teams? And again, you're in LA and there's been sort of different things coming out about what happens there. But, Wow, what if you know? What if you can't in this jurisdiction? You can in that. What if it comes back in a jurisdiction? You know, now we're talking about bigger issues than infection. We're talking about true. Uh, how can you stage a league like this? You know, if it comes back in one area, what do you do with that team? So all these things are have to be in, in discussion now. Yep, and it will be interesting to see if and to what extent, if any, the league is willing to slide away from competitive balance or parity because for all the reasons you just stated, it may be that the league has to do that in order to move forward. I have one final question for you. Yeah. Give it to me straight. All those years in green Bay teams coming to play there in the dead of winter, (laughs) as cold as it was, did you take a little bit, and by you, I mean all the Packer executives, not necessarily you specifically, a little bit of joy? Was there a little bit of giggling, maybe a little bit of shade thrown at the executives of other teams who came in inappropriately dressed for the cold? That would have been me. I saw you. Absolutely staggered by the cold. That would have been me. Thinking they might end up like the Donner party, that would have been me. Did you guys make a little fun of us, take a little joy in this? Were you a little gleeful? I was. And I'm thinking back to seeing you in the buffet line at Lambeau in one of those December games. And you had this look, Amy, and you didn't say it, but you had this look that really was sort of asking me and your, your visual was, how the hell do you live here? <laughs> it was just one of those looks you had, like you were saying it with your eyes, Andrew. How do you live here? <laughs> because- it, uh, you know what? I, the only thing that surprises me about that is that I didn't yell it out across the room at you. There were games <laughs> I remember going to Lambo 
Um, my husband actually joined me on one of our road trips. We were doing a tremendous amount of entertaining of sponsors and business partners and of rate or limited partners. And at one point, I needed to get down to someone in the stands from upstairs where we were, some sideline passes, some post-game passes. And I, of course, looked at my husband and kind of handed them to him. So he goes marching down from the top, top level where the visiting team staff sat up in the box all the way down to almost the front row of the stadium. And he's wearing loafers. And it's December. And it had just snowed. And it was good-natured. It was in good fun. Nobody was being mean or horrible. But the teasing he took from your fans about walking down in December through the stands with, you know, no coat, wearing loafers. Um, I think we were fodder. The Californians were fodder for a lot of fun in Green Bay. Yeah, well, I had the moments, too, in uh, Alameda, as I've shared, that uh, your black hole got me. I mean, we were out there on the opposite side of the weather spectrum, and uh, it was it was so hot. <laughs> and preseason. <laughs> I think it was August well, preseason. A wonderful memory to end this discussion with is when you came to play in Oakland. The Packers came to Oakland. Um, and the game was either the day or one or two days after Brett Favre had lost his dad. And he played. And he yeah. played phenomenally well. And you guys killed us. And what it, just exploded my heart was our fans in the black hole and otherwise throughout the stadium cheering for Brett. Because even though you guys were killing us, they respected and appreciated what he was doing with the heartache he was experiencing. And he was completing pass after pass after pass. And when I saw and listened to our fans cheering for Brett, um, I cried. It was, it was magnificent sportsmanship. Amy, I have chills right now. It was that Sunday afternoon. It was a Monday night game. Sunday afternoon, lazing around the Piedmont Hotel, beautiful place in Berkeley. Call from Bus Cook, Brett's agent. Where's Brett? I don't know where Brett is. Where is he? We got to find him. Like urgency, urgency in his voice. And I said, I don't know what's up. Herb died. Herb, Herb his father. I said, Herb died. Yeah, Herb died. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Because, you know, Brett, no one could ever find Brett. I don't know if he had a phone. So we put out the APB, and it turns out he was on a golf course with his buddies, Ryan Longwell and another cow guy, and Doug Peterson. And uh, we got in touch with Doug and put Doug on the phone with Deanna. And Deanna told him, and he came back, and he said, I want to speak to the team. We didn't know what he was going to say. And he said to the team, I just want you guys to know I'm going to play. And that's what my dad would want me to do. And my dad's a coach. And my dad would really want me to play. There, Amy, there was not a dry eye in that room on that Sunday night at the Piedmont. And then Monday night is what you described. Balls were coming from heaven and dropping into the hands of Donald Driver, Javon Walker, Wesley Walls, and others. Uh... And it was an amazing, amazing time. That was Monday night. Wednesday, back in Green Bay, we board a plane to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. 
we bury his father. And I saw a side of Brett Favre I'd never seen before nor since. He wasn't superstar quarterback. He was a brother, a friend, a father, a son, a, a friend, a community uh, of just a guy in the community of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It was he was just a guy paying respects to Irv Favre and. Like I, you bring back so many memories, bring that up because that whole week is just so vivid. You know, some weeks in your life you never, you couldn't remember a minute of it, and that week I remember every little bit of it. Well, and I will say only this to the point you made about some of those passes appearing as if they were from heaven. Um, there was something magical about Brett's performance that night, and there was something magical about your whole team's performance that night. And what I felt so proud of and so good about was our fans' reaction to that. Because, as you know, Raider fans are often pointed at, um, talked about, and, and there's an image and a reputation which I knew and I, you know, was unfair. These are tremendous, tremendous people. And to see them respond to Brett and give Brett a standing ovation when he scored touchdowns against us was those are the Raider fans I knew and to see them doing that for Brett really was magical. What's been nice in this this role that you and I have over the recent years and I say this for both of us and I know you can add to it is just that we have been a voice I feel for these fan bases um, and I know I have so many Packer fans that follow me and I see so many Raider fans that follow you and hopefully we can be kind of a, a voice of reason that <laughs> whatever you think of Packer fans, whatever you think of Raider fans, there's a real goodness to them. Um, you know, from my side, I've never seen fans like these before nor since that wrap themselves around a sports team. And really, I know the, the cliche about they own the team and the community ownership, but it's real. And they took such an interest. I, I always felt working for the Packers that I was working for a public trust. You know, I, I had the magnitude of doing that. And when I negotiated a contract, when I made a big decision, I had the weight of these thousands and millions of shareholders and people with their certificates on their wall. And I didn't take that lightly. I really didn't. And I know you feel the same way about the black hole. I do. Um, beautifully stated. And while our team wasn't publicly owned, as was the one for which you worked, I always said throughout my years in the league over and over and over again, fans are to be cherished. Without yeah. fans, there is no NFL as we know it. And the fans are what make things work. So um, I couldn't state it any more beautifully than you just did. So I won't add to that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, um, I will leave you with this, you know, and I, we talked about this last time you were on the podcast. You are, you have done something I cannot bring myself to do, and I'm trying not to beat myself up during this 12 weeks we've had stuck at home, which is that, hey, Andrew, everybody says it, and why don't you do it now? Why don't you write that book? Amy Trask wrote the book. And I, you know, I'll answer my own question because I just, I do my columns, <laughs> I write for school. I just think that I need you to sort of therapize me this through this because I don't, 
I just see a book as too big, this project. Like, I'm just good with my columns. I'm good with these 1,500-word things. To think about an 80,000, 100,000-word book, it's scary. Well, I will come full circle on the beginning of our discussion, and I will say to you that which you shared with us on this podcast, that you say to your sons, follow your dreams, follow your passion. When it's right, if it's right, you'll know it. Don't force it. Mm-hmm. If it becomes something about which you're passionate, if it becomes a dream, I have every confidence you will sit down and you will do it, and you'll do it magnificently. And unless and until it does, don't beat yourself up about it. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Thank I really. Thank you, um, Andrew, for the, the privilege and the pleasure of participating in this discussion with you. This really and truly has been one of my favorite things I've done. This is so great. And again, to tell everyone, Amy jumped at the chance to do this. I think she's sitting in a car somewhere, so the noise doesn't get to the podcast. Uh, I'm a forever fan, and I thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, Andrew. I, too, am a fan, and um, I did not get a parking ticket. We're good. <laughs> All right. You take care, my friend. Next time I'll be back interviewing you. Deal. And you as well. Take care. What a great podcast with my friend Amy Traster. She did a great job interviewing me. Hope you enjoyed that. Final word from Bet Online there's no NBA, there's no NHL, there's no Major League Baseball, at least not yet. You think there's nothing to bet on, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of events, games, props. Online casino, poker, blackjack, it's all coming to you. And if you're missing the NFL, they still have daily Madden NFL 20 simulations. You can always wager on those. And if you're into entertainment betting, you can bet on Big Brother, stock prices, even Nathan's hot dog eating contests, all on Bet Online. So visit our friends at Podcast One, their exclusive partner, Bet Online. Take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Don't forget that promo code, all caps, Podcast One. For your sign-up bonus, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And that'll do it for this special edition of the Business of Sports. Andrew Brandt being interviewed instead of inter- doing the interviewing by my friend, someone I'm, I'm an admirer and a fan, the great Amy Trask. Appreciate those of you who follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt, and appreciate the rankings and comments that you give on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to my musician, my son, Sam Brandt, my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Angie's List is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie still has the same top pros and reviews you've counted on for more than 20 years. Only now, you'll also get access to all the tools you need to make your home a happy place. Inside, outside, big or small, Angie helps you find the right solution for whatever you need done, all from your phone. It's simple to find upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. You can even search pricing guides to see what others paid for similar jobs and easily compare quotes from top local pros to make sure you're getting a fair price. From lawn care to repairing the AC to the project of your dreams, Angie has your home projects handled from start to finish. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, they'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with their happiness guarantee. Make your home an Angie home. Check out Angie.com today. And for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee dot htm.
If you're ready to lose weight, let Noom put psychology to work. Noom's award-winning weight loss program takes a cognitive behavioral approach, helping you form sustainable change that lasts. With Noom, no food is off limits, and there's no counting calories either. Instead, Noom gives you the ongoing guidance and support you need to form healthier habits and achieve your goals, all backed by leading evidence-based psychology and nutrition science. Start your trial at noom.com slash habit. That's noom.com slash habit. You strive to innovate, to propel payments forward. But what if you could do even more, access more people, and add more value? With Discover Global Network, you can. Accepted in more than 200 countries, with over 270 million cardholders around the globe, we help you grow further, faster. As the world's fastest-growing payments network, see just how much progress we can make together. Discover Global Network. Accelerate progress.